You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, It's been more than a week, so yeah, feels weird to say anything about it now. I am talking, of course, about the slap. We pre-recorded last week's show, our fake show, so I wasn't able to weigh in on the slap right after it happened. And you know what? That was probably a good thing. The slap happened on Sunday night. We usually record the opening of the show on Monday morning. The show goes out first thing Tuesday. And it wasn't until mid-afternoon Tuesday that I learned, by reading Twitter, that white people needed to shut up and listen regarding the slap. For a while there, my Twitter feed was nothing but white people who wouldn't shut up about all the shutting up they were doing and all the shutting up that they thought other white people needed to start doing, which struck me as odd. Not telling white people to shut up, sometimes we definitely need to do just that. And this may have been one of those times. But if you won't shut up about all the shutting up you're doing and all the shutting up you think other people need to start doing, then have you shut up? Seems to me that the first step to shutting up about something is to shut up about it, to shut up by example. And I'm going to do just that. I'm going to do that now. I am going to shut up about all the shutting up other people weren't doing last week by shutting up myself. Basically, I'm going to stop playing three-dimensional shutting up chess now. And instead of talking about this lap, I'm going to talk about orgies in Washington, D.C. And the man, the GOP, would like to shut up about them. But one last thing, one last thing I wanted to say about the Oscars universe. If I could be reincarnated as Timothy Chalamet's tuxedo jacket or his pants, I'd settle for being his pants too. That would be great. All right. Zooming out for a second. I looked into organized swinging, big straight orgies for a chapter in a book I wrote 25 years ago. This was before the apps came along and turned every gay man's apartment into a bathhouse and every straight person's apartment into a swingers club. And here's what I found at big swingers events, at swingers conventions, at these giant orgies in Las Vegas. Republicans, a lot of Republicans, way more Republicans than Democrats. And this squared with lore about how organized swinging got started which wasn't by pointy-headed intellectual types in Connecticut having key parties as shown in The Ice Storm, a 1997 film by Ang Lee starring Sigourney Weaver and Kevin Costner and Joan Allen and Christina Ricci and Tobey Maguire. I rewatched it recently. It holds up. Wives are swapped. Lives are ruined. Watch it with your polycule. Now, the lore about swinging goes like this, and I'm going to quote here from opening up A Guide to Creating and Sustaining Open Relationships by author and frequent Lovecast guest Tristan Taramino. One theory is that swinging began among Air Force fighter pilots and their wives during World War II. Pilots moved their wives close to base, where a tight-knit community of pilots and wives formed. Because so many pilots died in combat, it was understood that surviving pilots would care for widows as they would their own wives. This practice supposedly continued through the Korean War. It may seem counterintuitive, that Republicans, conservatives, would be into swinging because, yeah, aren't they the family values party of no and don't? Don't say that word gay. Don't have that orgasm in the wrong place. Don't get that abortion. Don't suck that dick. Don't, don't, don't. 
So yeah, at first it seems weird that Republicans would say yes to orgies, to swinging or wife swapping as it was called back then. But you know what? Born out by research done by Dr. Justin Lay Miller, author of Tell Me What You Want, a book about people's sexual fantasies. Dr. Lay Miller, also a frequent guest on the Lovecast, found that conservatives and Republicans, men, were likelier to fantasize about sharing their wives than Democrats, and presumably sharing their mistresses, and it would seem sharing freshman members of their own caucus, which is a roundabout way of saying, I believe Madison Cawthorn. Madison Cawthorn is the odious piece of shit, and I'm sorry, to, it has to be said, the objectively hot, conventionally attractive piece of Republican shit, insurrectionist, wannabe fascist, and the, the rate we're going, he may not be a wannabe for much longer. He's a congressman who represents North Carolina's 11th Congressional District. And since I've just acknowledged that Cawthorn is hot, I'm going to say it. Josh Hawley, good hair. And have you seen him in a tight t-shirt? Nice tits, Senator. Gay tits. Awful everything else. Anyway, Cawthorn, gun nut. Went on a gun nut podcast, the Warrior Poet Society, barf to that, and condemned the rampant corruption, hypocrisy, and licentiousness he'd found when he got to Washington, D.C., in 2020. His first stop, the January 6th rally, inciting an insurrection. He wasn't upset, though, about the licentiousness and hypocrisy found among Democrats. No, he was upset about the licentiousness and hypocrisy of his fellow Republicans. Let's play the tape. The sexual perversion that goes on in Washington, I mean, it, being kind of a young guy in Washington, with the average age is probably 60 or 70, and I look at all these people, a lot of them that I, you know, I've looked up to through my life, I've always paid attention to politics, guys that, you know, it, then all of a sudden you get invited to, like, well, hey, we're going to have kind of a, a, a sexual get-together at one of our homes. You should come. And I'm like, what, what, what did you just ask me to come to? Yeah. Uh, and then you realize they're asking you to come to an orgy. Yeah. Uh, or, or the fact that, you know, there's some of the people that are leading on the movement to try and remove, you know, addiction in our country. And then you watch them do, you know, a key bump of cocaine right in front of you. And it's like, wow, this is, this is wild. Needless to say, Madison Cawthorn doesn't look up to Maxine Waters or Patrick Leahy or Nancy Pelosi. The asshole says all Democrats are bastards. So if he's being invited to orgies by elected officials he looks up to, that little fascist piece of shit is being invited to orgies by Republicans. And I believe it. I believe him. I am on, when it comes to this issue and this issue alone, Team Madison. This may be the only thing Madison Cawthorn has said in the last two years that wasn't a lie. Screw as I say, not as I screw Republicans. They're nothing new. No one who lived through the 1990s will ever forget the Republican Party losing one House speaker after another during the impeachment of Bill Clinton for having an affair and lying about it. Because as it turned out, they'd all been having affairs and lying about them. The GOP ultimately had to settle on a guy for House Speaker Danny Hastert, who turned out to be a child rapist. Republicans, they don't think you should be having premarital sex or gay sex or getting abortions or able to have protected sex or interracial sex. Everyone needs to look up Griswold v. Connecticut and Loving v. Virginia. Those are the Supreme Court decisions conservatives have their hearts set on overturning right after they're done shredding Roe. Then it's on to Obergefell. They don't want you to be able to do any of those things I listed. But when it comes to their mistresses, oh, they'll pop for that abortion. When it comes to their rent boys, they will suck that dick. And when it comes to 
their sex parties, they will invite that hottie from North Carolina. I do not doubt it. I do not want to picture it. I'm not being ageist. I'm getting up there myself. I'm no gerontophobe. I'm not sure gerontophobe is a word. Gerontophile is a word. It means attracted to the elderly. If gerontophobe isn't a word, maybe it needs to be. Maybe it will be now. Anyway, I'm no gerontophobe, but I don't want to picture Chuck Grassley, of all people, to say nothing of Mitch McConnell or Lindsey Graham or Ted Cruz or Jim Jordan or Rick Scott or even Madison Cawthorn with his pretty blue eyes or Josh Hawley with his muscly gay man titties. I don't want to picture any of those assholes at an orgy. And I don't think any of those assholes deserve the ironically singular pleasure that can only be experienced during group sex. Two people chewing on your tits, one person sucking your dick, another person eating your ass. Don't want to picture that, Chuck Grassley. Don't want to picture that happening to Chuck Grassley. And you know what? These days, Chuck Grassley doesn't need to go to an orgy to experience that. He can have that on his own with an expensive new sex toy called Serious Kit. It's an industrial milking machine adapted to milk men. Organizing an orgy seems cheaper than getting a serious kit. Thing costs five grand. But then again, winning a house seat these days, average race costs $2 million. So maybe a serious kit is a steal. Anyway, Republicans in Congress wanting it one way or every way for themselves and another way or no way for the rest of us. Like I said, that's nothing new. They want to force us to live in a world they don't have to live in themselves. Government-funded health care for them, free market for you. Gun control. There was a mass shooting in Sacramento this week. Six dead, 12 wounded, barely made the news. Republicans in Congress and on the Supreme Court, they think people should be able to carry guns into your workplace, not theirs. Rubes with assault rifles should be able to walk into your restaurant, not the gallery of the U.S. Senate. Gun control where they work, active shooters where you work. So of course it's orgies and key bumps for them, and abstinence and war on drugs for the rest of us. Madison Cawthorn has been told to shut up, to stop telling the truth about sex parties and drugs, and then get back to doing what he does best, lying. Which he did yesterday when he blamed the media and the left for this orgy controversy he kicked off. Yeah, Madison, you said it. And you meant it, and it's true. Madison believed, though, that if the left would just shut up about it, it would go away. And today, former Republican House Rep Trey Gowdy, not a man of the left and a creepy-ass motherfucker no one wants to invite to an orgy or picture at an orgy, he, not the left, demanded Madison Cawthorn start naming names. To which I say, no, please don't. The mental images are distressing enough with generic Republican officials at an orgy in our heads. Keep the names to yourself, Madison. But otherwise, about those orgies, please don't shut up. Quickly, a Lovecast programming note. In a few weeks, I'm bringing in a special guest to talk about erectile dysfunction and that little blue pill and the history of it, Viagra. So if you have any questions about ED or the drugs that are now available to treat it, send them in now. All right, coming up on today's show on the micro Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's. And on the magnum Savage Lovecast, Justine Ang Fonti returns. She's an intersectional sex educator based in New York City who moonlights on Instagram as your friendly ghostwriter where she helps people say what they need to say. Justine is back to help a couple of my listeners say what they need to say. All that coming up on today's show. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Dipsy. 
Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. Get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash savage. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by DoorDash, the app that brings you food you're craving right now, right to your door. Get 25% off and zero delivery fees on your first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code LOVECAST. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Talkspace, online therapy that makes it easy to get extra mental health support. For $100 off your first month, go to Talkspace.com and use the offer code SAVAGE. Hi, Dan. I am a cisgender, bisexual, kinky, submissive woman in my early 30s in a long-term age gap relationship with my dom, who is 20 years my senior. My boyfriend has been using ED meds for some time and has reached the point where the only way forward is a penile implant. His surgery is scheduled for next month, and he is having a very hard time coping. I know he's mourning the loss of what was and that he's grappling with his definitions of masculinity and virility, and it's brought to the fore his regrets with his former sexually incompatible marriage, which ended several years ago, as well as concerns for how his penis will look and function, fears of the surgery failing, etc. Especially as this is a one-way street and there is no going back. I don't fault him whatsoever for his feelings. It's quite the Rubicon. Um, my question to you is, how do I help him through this transition? Assuring that I don't and won't find him any less attractive or love him any less. I have equated the surgery with having a heart valve replacement or some other similar vascular issue. It is a medical issue in my book. I'd also be eager to hear any feedback you may have for him on the efficacy of penile implants or outcomes, things to be aware of going forward. Obviously, we're into some pretty freaky shit and have a very active sex life, so, you know, any limitations would be lovely to address. I'm not a doctor. Efficacy, outcomes, things to be aware of going forward, function. These are all issues that I hope your partner has addressed with his physician and maybe spent a little time on Dr. Google reading about. The issue for you, though, is nothing that you've said has made him feel any better. And I don't think that anything you can say right now is going to have that outcome. I don't think you can achieve making him feel better about this. He's nervous in advance of getting this surgery. And, you know, there's always a risk in surgery. Sometimes you don't get the outcome that you hoped for. There could be a complication. He's putting a lot on the plate. There's a lot at risk here. There's his dick at risk here. And he's going to be anxious and nervous about that, whatever you say to him, until he's on the other side of that surgery and he has a good outcome. Hopefully he will have a good outcome. I wouldn't advise you to engage in any worst case scenario disorder theorizing about, you know, what you guys will do or what he'll do or what approach you'll take to sex or intercourse, not sex. There's plenty of sex you can have without a hard dick. You say that he's your dom. I assume then that you guys engage in some sort of DS or BDSM and there's a lot on the table in DS or BDSM that doesn't necessarily involve 
penetrative sex. There's a lot of people into BDSM who don't even have penetrative sex at all. So there's a lot that I'm sure that you're already doing that you can continue to do and successfully do with or without his penis or while his penis is recuperating. But I think your frustration is that you haven't hit on the magic words that you can say right now that'll make him feel better, that will relieve him of this anxiety. And you know what? Those magic words don't exist. You're just going to have to listen to him, offer the reassurances that you can, encourage him to talk to his physician about uh, the efficacy of this, outcomes, things to be aware of going forward, and let him vent. And then all the reassuring things that you've said, they're going to be in his head when he's getting down to the other side. And he will be grateful to you. But I think you're doing that thing that sometimes we do when we're in a relationship where we just we see our partner miserable and happy, anxious about something, anything, and we feel like it's our job to say the right thing, do the right thing that takes all the anxiety away. And that's not always possible. And you just have to kind of ride it out with them, say the reassuring things, allow him to continue to be anxious and nervous about this. And then, you know, if you don't get the outcome you want, if it doesn't work the way he hoped it would or had been told it should or does for most men, then you can call me back about what to do now on the other side, uh, how you could change up or switch up your sex life, how you can de-emphasize penetrative sex if he's not capable of penetrative sex. But let's hope for a good outcome. Let's hope that he is capable still of penetrative intercourse after he gets this implant. Most men are. And what you don't want to do is to get into this anxious feedback loop where your partner's anxious and you're anxious to reassure your partner and it's not whatever you're saying isn't reassuring them and then you get anxious about your inability to cure their anxieties and it just becomes this self-reinforcing anxiety feedback loop. You have to offer what reassurances you can, know that they may not work very well right now and then be zen about the fact that your partner is still anxious and rightfully so. Who wouldn't be anxious about getting their dick cut open. Hi, Dan. I'm a 32-year-old female, and I really need your help with some disturbing behavior. I've been with my partner for about four years. Before we started dating, we had a casual friends with benefits situation. I just found out from a mutual friend that during this time, prior to us dating, he engaged in some really concerning behavior. One evening, he thought I was lying to him about my solo plans for the evening, which involved ordering takeout. So he called every Chinese food place that delivers to my address and had them confirm the order, which he noted included food in the order that he knows I wouldn't have eaten myself. I confronted him about this behavior, and he did confess that it was true, but that he was disgusted by his own actions and would never do anything like that again. I made it clear to him that if I had known this had happened at the time, there's no chance he would still be in my life. My question is, do you really think that this is the kind of behavior that someone can get past and grow from? Or do you think this remains a huge red flag of a controlling and potentially unhinged person? I will say that over the last four years of our relationship, it has been overall a very positive experience with mutual respect, and he has been a very loving partner. But do I throw in the towel because of this very creepy and disturbing behavior that happened four years ago? Do people really change? Aren't you glad you didn't find out about it at the time when it happened? Because then you wouldn't have had this wonderful relationship of the last four years with your former fuck buddy. 
yeah, what he did at that moment was fucked up, as he seems to be aware. And had it resulted in you refusing to date him, it would have been very regrettable. What I'm kind of bumping on listening to your question is there's no pattern here. He did this one fucked up thing one time, regretted it, never did it again. You've enjoyed four years with him. If this was telling, you know, if this was a red flag and the Red Army was behind it, you know, a million red flags, uh, he would have, it, it would have revealed itself by now. There would have been a pattern of manipulative, controlling behavior. There is no pattern here of manipulative, controlling behavior. What there's evidence of was a lapse of judgment on his part that one time. And it sounds like perhaps he discussed it in therapy or maybe he just rooted it out on his own. And yeah, if you'd known at the time, you wouldn't have dated him. You didn't find out at the time. And my question for you is, are you happy or sad about that? Are you bummed that you didn't find out so that you could have not entered into this relationship, which sounds like there's been a good and rewarding one over the last four years? I guess this boils down to, can we ever forgive anybody for anything? If we find something out four years, eight years, 12 years, 16, 20 years into a relationship about our partner that would have given us second thoughts about dating them, and this thing had happened before we started dating them, can we retroactively forgive this thing that we didn't know about that might have altered our judgment or feelings about this person had we known? And I think the answer to that has to be, Yes, we are all capable of shitty actions. And if we're held to a standard of if you've ever done this one shitty thing that's common to a particular kind of shitty person who routinely engages in shitty things, you're not fit to date and can't be forgiven. Well, then who amongst us is fit to date? This episode is brought to you by Dipsy, creators of very sexy stories by women for women. We're talking hundreds of short erotic stories with a ton of variety, so there really is something for everyone. Uh, here are some of the categories. Romantic, off-limits, threesomes, in public, trans and non-binary, teacher. It goes on and on and on. With Dipsy, your sanctuary is waiting. Escape into a world where pleasure is your only priority. And that's their copy. But it's true. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and characters, no matter what you're into or what turns you on, with recurring characters so you can find a voice you like and follow them throughout their appearances on the app. Now, I'm straight, okay, but Jennifer would make me switch teams. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I love voices, and you can find some really amazing ones on Dipsy. Find stories about that intriguing coworker with an Irish accent or hooking up with your hot history professor. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. And I love that they also offer audio for wellness and to help you sleep. So they really get that sexual pleasure and mental health are one and the same. And that, my friends, is cool. It's your go-to place to spice up your me time, get yourself grounded, explore your fantasies, or heat things up with a partner. So now you will go to dipsystories.com slash savage for listeners of the show. Dipsy's offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash savage. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash savage. Do it. Hey, Dan. I am a... 32-year-old cisgender woman from the Midwest. Me and my husband are just getting into group 
play. And we're taking every precaution, getting tested, talking about testing with others, using protection in these scenarios. And we just found out we're pregnant, which is so exciting and so amazing because we've been trying for a while. And we're kind of looking at this like maybe it's the last big hurrah before we move into kind of infant caring life. And I'm wondering what, like, do I have to disclose this to other people at this stage? You know, we're very, very early on. We're talking like, you know, under five weeks kind of territory. And I'm just wondering if you could advise on whether I have to disclose this, why I should disclose this. I'm sure there are risks involved, but, you know, I feel like that's kind of up to me to make, not others. So I'm curious what you say. I think I'm going to get in trouble, or I did get in trouble once for describing pregnancy as the original sexually transmitted infection, which isn't true. I was just being an asshole. It's not an STI. You do not have to disclose this. And at five weeks, most uh, women who believe themselves to be pregnant, hope they're pregnant, and it's a wanted pregnancy, don't disclose that fact generally. And I don't think you're under any obligation to disclose this fact about yourself, that you're pregnant, to a casual sex partner who has no guarantee that the women they're sleeping with are not pregnant, never pregnant, couldn't be pregnant. That's a possibility. So yeah, but yeah, uh, I guess when I think about it, what I would want if I was your sex partner, would I want this disclosed to me? Well, if you had a sexually transmitted infection, I would I would want that disclosed to me. If I was looking for love and you were in a committed relationship and only looking for something casual, I would want that disclosed to me. You know, if some guy I was sleeping with was pregnant, would I want that disclosed to me? Would I feel wronged if that wasn't disclosed to me in a hypothetical universe where gay cis men can be pregnant? Forgive my hypothetical, and I guess it's telling that my hypothetical involves the existence of pregnant gay cis men, and to me that seems more plausible than me having sex with a woman, but let's just go with it. No, I would like, though, to feel that the person that I was sleeping with would feel free to disclose that to me when they were ready without me freaking out or getting judgy or weird about it because they knew me to be a person who wouldn't freak out or get judgy or weird about that. So the only complication I could see for you down the road is you might wait to disclose this to a partner who then looks at how long it took you to disclose it to them if you have regular play partners and worries that you felt that you couldn't trust them. But if you disclose this to someone and they freak out because they felt that they had a right to know or they're goobed out because you happen to be pregnant while you were having casual sex, which is a thing that can happen if you're a person who has casual sex with a female human being, well, then they're not anybody you wanted to fuck ever again anyway, and so good riddance. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Talkspace. I listen to a lot of people while I'm making this show. I listen to a lot of calls, and I hear that many of my callers, many of my listeners are struggling with mental health and struggling with their relationships. Whatever challenges you're facing in your mental health, whether you're struggling with low self-esteem, body image issues, anxiety, anything else, there's no one-size-fits-all solution. That's why I recommend Talkspace, online therapy that gives you unlimited access to a licensed therapist. So you can set aside time to put yourself first and you don't have to just rely on the advice of a sex monkey like me. A Talkspace therapist can give you the space to take a break, help empower you to work through the pressure and discover where you can lighten the load with genuine strategies to live your life. And you can get that support from any device whenever you need it. 
Though people often face similar struggles, everyone's path to healing looks different. Talkspace has thousands of licensed therapists across dozens of specialties, so you can connect with someone that's trained for just what you need. And instead of a therapist squeezing you into their busy schedule, Talkspace fits into yours. You'll also have chat, video, or audio options for live sessions, so you can get support on your own terms from any device. Get the one-sized-fits-one support you need with Talkspace. Sign up today at Talkspace.com and get $100 off your first month with the promo code SAVAGE. That's $100 off at Talkspace.com, promo code SAVAGE. Hey, Dan. I'm a 28-year-old gay man, a second-time caller. I called back late last year about my bottom boyfriend uh, not really wanting to have sex and kind of being on the rocks. Uh, we considered moving in together. Well, we broke up on Halloween, and I was pretty devastated. It took me a couple weeks, a couple months to kind of uh, move on and really get my head back on my shoulders. But my current predicament is we still share uh, a few passwords and logins with each other, uh, one of which is Amazon Prime. I quit using his for the most part, I logged out or I switched accounts pretty pretty quickly after our breakup and I logged him out of my Netflix account. However, curiosity got the best of me last night. I got into his Amazon Prime account and I noticed and I looked at his orders and I noticed that he had ordered a douche for himself. Um, I think the last time I called you, I was talking about how I didn't feel like he wanted to bottom for me. And I was always sort of insecure about him wanting bigger dicks. That was a, that was also a big point of contention after our breakup. He'd found some stuff I said on Sniffy's, uh, referring to wanting a big cock and he was pretty upset by that. So I think we've always had some general insecurities about our sex life, our dick sizes and, uh, the needs of our former partners. So I don't know if this is just a case of self-sabotage, and I'm not really sure how to fix it. I don't know if you have any remedies aside from obviously logging out of his account, which I have, and just continuing to try to move on. I've been good about setting boundaries. I've been good about not getting emotional, not getting intoxicated, and blowing up on him. However, he has not done the same for me. So I feel pretty confident recently. However, this kind of threw me for a loop, and I feel like, uh, you know, just feeling a little sad today, feeling like I shouldn't have done that. I knew I shouldn't have done that. But um, I'm wondering how you, what you have to say about people who self-sabotage and kind of how to respond to this. I know that he is a bottom, but I've always been sort of insecure about my partners being bottoms because it's the vulnerable position. You don't know anything now that you didn't know before you went and snooped. And this is the danger of snooping. I'm one of the rare pro-snooping sex and relationship advice industrial complex worker bees in that I do think sometimes you find something out when you're snooping that you needed to know and had a right to know. The warning label on that, though, that piece of advice is that sometimes you find shit out snooping that you didn't need to know and can't unknow. And this falls into that latter category. However, you didn't really find out anything about your ex-boyfriend that you didn't already know about your ex-boyfriend. He's a bottom. He likes to have his ass fucked. One of the reasons your relationship ended was he didn't particularly want to have his ass fucked by you. 
you have insecurities about the size of your dick. Maybe he couldn't be bothered to let you fuck his ass or to douche himself for you to fuck his ass because your dick is too small. You can cling to that. You can abuse yourself with that. You can inflame your own insecurities by lashing yourself with that. Or you can shrug it the fuck off and just say, for whatever reason, that wasn't working for us. Like we didn't click around anal. I have a perfectly decent and good dick. Some guys prefer giant dicks and can only be bothered to douche or clean out or have anal for a giant dick. If that was the case with your ex, well then the relationship was never going to work out. And what you need to do is go find a guy who digs your dick at the size your dick is and have anal sex with that guy and stop thinking about what your ex-boyfriend is doing with his butt. Or you can tell yourself, maybe the douche bulb is for his new boyfriend. Maybe he's a top now. Maybe it's a gag gift for a bachelor party. Maybe he got it for his sister. Who the fuck knows? All we know for sure is that you can't unknow this thing that you didn't need to know that you went and found out good for you. I, I don't want to sound like I'm too angry at you. I'm not angry at you. I totally get it. People snoop. Uh, people have insecurities. Sometimes you find something that like feeds into your insecurities. And then what do you do with that? Well, you eat a weed gummy. You talk about it with your therapist. You create an alternate explanation that's not about your inadequacy. And I promise you, I'm sure you've had sex with other guys before and since you broke up with your ex who didn't find you inadequate at all. And you need to take all of those yeses that you've gotten from other guys about your dick for an answer and stop obsessing about your ex-boyfriend and his butt and your dick. Did you forget that one thing at the store? You know how annoying it is to have to go back to the store for that one thing? Now you don't have to. You can get that thing, that snack, that drink, that household essential in 30 minutes with DoorDash. DoorDash connects you with restaurants you love right now, and they bring that great food that you miss right to your door. And now you can get the grocery essentials you also need at DoorDash too. Get drinks, snacks, other household items delivered in under an hour. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want from where you want, and your items will be left safely outside your door with the contactless delivery drop-off setting. With over 300,000 partners in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can support your neighborhood go-tos or choose from your favorite national chains when you order on DoorDash. And for a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code LOVECAST. That's 25% off, up to $10 value, and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code LOVECAST. Don't forget the code LOVECAST for 25% off your first order with DoorDash. Subject to change, terms apply. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. This is a mid-40s woman, cis, straight, calling from the East Coast with a question about infidelity. I have been having an affair with a married man for six years. I was married also when we first started dating each other, and um, we have been very in love for all of this time. We have tried to break up several times, but we always find ourselves back together. My marriage ended amicably, and I really enjoy being free and out in the world. 
and living as honest a life as possible. His children are very young and he feels like though he wants to be together, he just can't see a path where his kids wouldn't get hurt and he's terrified that his wife would be really cruel and vindictive and make things very hard for everybody. So he stays in this holding pattern that has become very frustrating for me. I understand it's currently the price of admission. I have tried to, we have tried to split up uh, on a few occasions and we always find ourselves back together. He told his wife right before COVID that he wanted a divorce and she said they needed to do therapy first and he shouldn't leave them. So he agreed to do therapy, but then the lockdown happened. They had trouble finding a therapist. She's never really been interested in therapy. So after one visit, she refused to go anymore. And so now we find ourselves in a holding pattern where um, we see each other a few times a week, if we can, depending on who has a cold and what sort of COVID restrictions are going on. But I find myself increasingly wondering if she were to find out whether that blow up, which he insists would happen, and um, he's very afraid of, would actually be a good thing. And then we could you know, get through it and move on. There is always a risk that he would be found out anyway. And that risk is a, a, a tension and I'm worried about happening also. And I feel like I'm just wondering, is there a way to send a letter to her, to have someone else tell her, I know that I can't do it or I shouldn't do it. It would be um, a betrayal of him. And I guess maybe even this call is kind of a betrayal, but Sometimes I just think he's too scared to do the right thing and just fess up to what's happening. It's been happening. It's continuing to happen. And he's like too afraid to let the truth come out, but maybe it should. What do you think? So your question basically boils down to it would be unethical. It would be a betrayal for me to stab you in the face. So my friend here, She's going to stab you in the face. Yeah, it would be wrong for you to send this letter. It would be a betrayal that would destroy the relationship you presumably want to have with this man in the future. He would feel violated in, so completely that he wouldn't want to be with you. So telling the wife yourself or sending that letter or getting a friend to tell her or send that letter isn't going to get you what it is that you want. And perhaps after six years deserve, how old are these kids? You say he can't leave his wife because his kids are so young, but you've been in this relationship for six years. Presumably the kids were already, they already were kids. They already had the kids before this relationship began. Otherwise he could have left his wife without having to worry about the kids. So the kids now must be at least what? Eight and 10, 10 and 12, which means you may be closer to your desired outcome here, which is him getting to a point where he feels like he can wind down his marriage, than you realize. But your only leverage in this relationship, as in so many relationships for so many people, is your presence. That's the only lever you can push or pull or flip or whatever that may cause him to make a different choice or inspire him to leave his wife without him then wanting to leave you too. If your fingerprints are all over his wife finding out and his family being blown up and his kids being traumatized and him being outed to all of his relatives as the 
bad guy here because he was the cheater and we don't know the particulars of their relationship or why he's fucking you. Maybe you're what he needs to do to, in order to stay married and stay sane. And, you know, as Esther Perel says, the victim of the affair is not always the victim of the marriage. It could be that he's not the bad guy in this relationship despite this six-year affair. But if he's outed as a cheater, he will be seen as a bad guy by all his relatives, by all of her relatives, by his own kids. So you won't be just setting fire to his relationship with his wife if you out him as an adulterer. You will be setting fire to all of his relationships, including his relationship with you. So don't fucking do it. Use the leverage that you have, which is your presence. Tell him it's over. Don't get back together with him until he is single and can date you as a single person and you two can have the relationship that you'd like to have with this guy in the future, which you will not have in the future or ever if you send that letter or get somebody else to send that letter. Hi, Dan. I'm a 40-year-old female. I'm calling with a question about a sex video I made to a friend. We used to have an affair. We haven't been together in about three years, but we still flirt and talk about the old times and sex. And we talked about making each other's uh, sex videos, and I made him one. And I put it online and gave him the link. And I could tell that he opened and watched it two times. And I talked to him a week after. He said he loved the video, and he watched it many, many times. And now I'm, like, trapped in my head with this question, like, why did he say he watched it many times, and why did he only watch it twice? I thought it was a really great video, and I can't help thinking that he, for some reason, is just being polite, telling me he liked it because he only watched it twice. So is that normal? Is it normal? Is it normal to be polite? I'd love to live in a world where it was normal to be polite, as I assume you would, as I assume we all would. Is it normal to watch a dirty video that a former sex partner made for you and to only watch it twice and then tell that partner that you watched it many, many times? Well, I guess it depends on what your definition of the word many is. Maybe he was just telling you what he thought he should tell you, what he thought you wanted to hear. Maybe he was extrapolating out into a future where he anticipated watching this video over and over again. So use the expression many, many when he should have used the expression twice already. Or maybe he downloaded the video onto another device, onto a phone or an iPad or a laptop that it was easier for him to watch it on than whatever he watched it on the two times that you could track him watching it on and has been furiously jacking off to this video every spare moment of the day since you sent it to him. This is the sort of thing that I think you shouldn't spend too much time worrying about. Either he's watched it many, 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 many times on some other device or he watched it a couple of times and he really liked it and wanted to be complimentary and exaggerated exactly how many times he'd watched it. Either way, yeah, don't take it too hard. Rather than ordering him to pretend to watch it another 30 or 40 times so you can see that number count jump, ask him where's the video that he was going to make and send to you. 
All right, before we get to this week's listener response calls, let's read some listener tweets. Brooklyn Bolnese tweets, as a currently single person getting back into dating, it warms my heart that so many people are such terrible liars. Thank you, Nancy and at Fake Dan Savage for the April Fool's episode of the Savage Lovecast. A boy about tweets regarding the April Fool's episode. I wanted to object to your assumption that in the fake question, from the caller whose fake folks were getting it on with his fake sex toys, the fake dad was the one getting pegged with the caller's strap-on. Just as likely that fake mom's a DP fanatic and women like her should not be marginalized. And finally, Burnaby Dan tweets, Savage Lovecast episode 805, your fake, fake, fake show was one of your best shows ever. Please repeat the format next year. And so awesome to have Nancy a part of the show. Such a refreshing change. Everyone loved the fakes show and everyone loved having Nancy on for an entire episode, me included. That said, a year is way too long to wait for more Nancy on the Lovecast, so I will do my best to get her back on the show before then. All right, if you want me to read your tweet on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to use the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And everybody out there who posted to Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or wherever on your social media this week about the Lovecast, Thank you very much. We sincerely appreciate how you're helping to spread the word about the Lovecast. And now, listener response calls. This is in response to the April Fool's Day episode. I was hearing the person talk about the bone fetish, and I was hoping it was real because I guess I kind of have the same thing. I know Dan expected that most of the people with this would be guys, but definitely almost everyone I've dated has been abnormally skinny and I love feeling their hips and their jawbones, and not really elbows or knees, because everyone has those, but definitely the skinny thing going on. And I, I, we've been sitting on the couch, and I've started to kind of bite my partner's shoulders until he's been like, that, that hurts, stop. And I often use the hip bone. You can kind of put your hand between the hip and where the skin goes down, and it makes a little handle, kind of. Um, that just gives me a new way of thinking about it. That's kind of interesting. Hi, Dan Savage. This is just a quick weigh-in regarding your comment in episode 805 that women wouldn't know they have fertility issues until until they try to conceive. Um, This could be true, but not always, and it doesn't have to be. Fertility awareness is something all girls should be taught, whether they want babies or are trying to avoid them, or even if they're on the fence. It's good to know your body and its cycles. You can also teach yourself um, the signs of ovulation if, and if they aren't present again even if you've never tried for a baby you'll know that it might be a challenge um, even though it's not impossible for most i'm not against the pill or anything i just think women have the right to know their bodies and we're failing to educate on this most people aren't even aware that even a super fertile woman can only get pregnant around four or five days a month tops hi dan and nancy 65 year old female with a response about the multi-orgasmic woman in the april fool's show Maybe she's like me. As a penis haver, you know how you get an initial strong orgasmic contraction, followed by what I call aftershocks. They go on for a while, decreasing in intensity until they taper off. Clitoris havers get aftershocks too, but my aftershocks can go on and on. If properly nurtured, they steady out at about 6 to 10 per minute. My partner and I have kept them going for over a half hour with no sign we couldn't keep going indefinitely. Sometimes there's an actual second orgasm in there, but usually not. This is all without a vibrator. We think it's a really fun sexual superpower. 
And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? Use the Voice Memo app on your phone to record your question or your comment and email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. You can also call us at 206-302-2064. This weekend, Hump, my dirty little film festival, is streaming online and screening in theaters in Montreal, Columbus, Brooklyn, and Sacramento. Go to humpfilmfest.com for tickets and links. And Magnum Subs, a reminder, this Thursday is Sack Lunch, my monthly Zoom hangout for Magnum subscribers to the Savage Lovecast. Be on the lookout for the link in your email on Thursday morning. And if you're not already a subscriber to the Magnum Savage Lovecast and you'd like to join us for Sack Lunch this Thursday, go to savage.love and become a subscriber today. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Justine Ang Fonti's Goodbyes account on Instagram at underscore good dot buys underscore. That's B-Y-E-S. She's also at I'm Justine AF on Instagram. And you can learn more about Justine and her other work at her website, JustineFonti.com. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by the smart and hilarious and funny and wonderful. And we will have her back on the show before a year is up. Nancy Hartunian and me and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy will all be back at you next week on the installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.